0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: Gentlemen, welcome to Battle Road Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening tonight and uh thank all the folks that'll be listening in the archive for the next uh, few days, weeks, months, years. <clears throat> and uh make sure that uh that you guys remember that I do the show so that I can provide you with uh information and uh tips and uh research and everything else for for the things that you will need. So if there are subjects that you want uh, covered, be sure and let me know, and I'll do my best to get them covered. If there are guests, if there are guests that you would like to to hear, a mailing list to remind everybody that the show, uh, on the show days, that the show is coming. But uh, Blog Talk has a very, very hinky mailing list, and And the emails—the way that I got the emails, the way that you have to input them—is in a very uh, specific way. And if you get even one little tiny thing wrong, it rejects the whole bunch. So I'm slowly working out the uh, the the kinks in that, so that I can give you guys a uh, an email reminder on the uh, for the Thursday shows. If you would like to. to get information on what uh, Battle Road is doing, what the shooting school is doing, uh, then I would uh, uh, I'd advise you to go to www.battleroadusa.com and uh, there's a tab at the top that says Contact. You can click on, click on that tab and there is a uh, another tab that says Newsletter. And if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, <clears throat> then we'll be glad to send you out the little list and send you a copy of the newsletter. Battle Road. Uh, I want to make sure that people know that we've got the uh, June twenty seventh, twenty eighth ladies only uh, class in here at uh, Battle Road, and it is we're doing it in conjunction. With the Girl in a Gun group out of uh, League City in Houston, but uh, but any of the Girl on a Gun members uh, are welcome to attend as well as any ladies. You don't have to be a member of the Girl on a Gun to uh, attend the event. Uh, looks like we're going to have a pretty good crew, and uh, I think that uh, I think that everybody should going to have a great time. Uh, these classes, the ladies-only classes, and uh, you know, for a while, I, I was uh, I was kind of anti-running ladies-only classes because uh, I thought that uh, you know I I wanted to make sure that uh, this is when I was working for Apple we doing inclusion not exclusion and. uh I thought that you, when you run a ladies only, or whatever, and you're excluding everybody else, but uh, but I think this is one of the uh, one of the classes that it, it no longer bothers me to uh, to run at the ladies only because it gives a lot of the ladies a chance to come out and not have to worry about. Uh, don't have to worry about the other guys on the range, and uh, I guess it makes them, the the ladies feel more comfortable. <laughs> There's certainly a uh, a, a different uh, attitude and atmosphere at these classes, and and it's a good one. And uh, and I enjoy teaching the classes. It uh, looks like we've got uh, uh, several. Additional instructors that will be showing up. If you're going to attend the class and you need a rifle, be sure and let me know as soon as possible so I can uh, get you slotted for one of the rifles, one of our loaner rifles. And uh, if you have any questions about this event, then uh, please feel free to contact me through the contact uh, page on the website. Or you can email me at uh, r-a-n-g-e-s-c-o-u-t range scout at hughes h-u-g-h-e-s dot net. Okay? Range scout at hughes dot net. Or you can give me a call at uh, area code two five four two one seven six three five three if you've got any questions or if you would uh if you would like to make any comments or suggestions about the show, you can also do it that way all right <clears throat> all right uh <coughs> I told you that we had a uh a really great uh end of the world as we know it zombie destruction Biathlon uh two weeks ago and uh we sold out the event we had a a great group of uh, shooters that attended and <laughs> Uh, It looks like we're well on the way toward uh, selling out the upcoming event in October. October 10th will be the next event. And uh, if you'd like to get a slot for that event, then uh, don't wait around too long. Go to uh, BattleRoadUSA.com and get yourself uh, slotted for for the run. Uh, You can go to the uh, go to the home page, and you'll see the Zombie Biathlon tab. Click on that. Click on the Zombie Biathlon. And it'll take you to the uh, the info page. And then on the info page there's a sign up button. Click on that, and you get signed up for that. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to have to we're going to have a Okay, Ed, you said that my audio keeps going quiet. Probably the phone that I'm using now. uh, I crashed uh, like three phones in a row. And when I did that, the last time I crashed one, uh, I hadn't even sent the one I crashed uh, the week before. I hadn't even sent it back yet. I just got the, the mailer envelope to send it back. So they wouldn't give me another phone. I had to get another account, another phone. And this time they said uh, I needed to get a life case for it. So that's what I'm using right now. I'm talking on my cell phone. And it has a life case on it, which is great because it protects the phone, I guess, from damage. And if I destroy it again, while it's in the life case, it's only 50 bucks to replace it instead of 700 and, uh But there's problems with it as far as it's hard to... Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to hear. Sometimes it's hard for other folks to hear me because it's stuck in a big, thick, plastic case. So there's some give and take on that. If you uh, if, if it starts going bad or something, uh, then uh, I'll be looking at the chat room. Ed, just let me know so I can try and figure something else out. Uh, so tonight... Uh, what I wanted to talk about is uh, it, it's a there's no like one uh, one solid topic tonight. There's there's quite a few things that I want to talk to you about. First off, to remind you guys that and we talk about prepping and self-reliance uh, quite a bit on. On the show here and <clears throat>
0: i'll
1: do uh I'll do shows that are that are targeted at specific topics specific subject stuff that uh that I think that you should be thinking about things like uh food and water storage uh firearms uh energy uh solutions for cessation of services events uh security things like that but the one thing i want to keep reminding you guys is that the time to start your prep is right now and uh, we've talked about this on the show before that a lot of times folks think that that because they don't have enough money to buy a year's worth of food which is about uh it usually runs about a grand uh, uh, to 1500 dollars a piece per person uh, if they don't have enough money to do that, then and they'll just wait. They'll wait until they've got the money saved up, and then they can, then they can start their prep. And I'm telling you, that's, uh, that's a terrible idea, okay? A few items, you take a look and see what you have. And really, the very first thing you need to do is uh, start doing a little bit of research about it. There are uh, there are literally thousands of websites and blogs dedicated to uh, prepping and self-reliance now. Tens of thousands of products out there. Uh, you can go to places like uh, Prepper Website is uh, that has a, a, a ton of articles and uh, and the owner of that website will pick out some of the best articles. Uh, and presents them to folks uh, for their perusal. There's American Preppers Network, uh, which is a big uh, grab bag of websites. And, uh, and it is really big, but, uh, but it has a lot of great information. Uh, survivalist boards. It's another great uh, website. Uh, backdoor survival, survival top 50, uh, has a huge list of survival blogs the the way to the way to get started is just is to start right now is to do it uh, because when you keep putting it off when you keep waiting uh until either you think you're gonna have more money or more time to do it uh that is the a recipe for disaster thing to do is to start right now. Listen, if you only even if you can only put together uh enough gear, uh food, water, whatever, everything that that you're going to be working to to uh to put away. Even if you can only put away enough food and gear for one day then then that's one day. That's one day that you've given yourself a buffer on. when you're prepping remember you're going to be prepping for the the most likely event that's going to happen uh in the direction toward the least likely event now the most likely event to happen is not a complete and total 100% uh, nationwide failure uh nationwide cessation of services event that's just that's not the most likely thing to happen. Uh, the uh, a huge comet striking Earth is not the most likely thing to happen. The most likely thing to happen is that you're going to uh, you're going to lose your job, or you're going to break your leg uh, and be out of work for uh, for two weeks. You know, until you can get back to work on crutches. Or there's going to be uh, a uh, a 24- or 72-hour uh, power-down situation. Those are the most likely things that are going to happen. So that's what you want to start preparing for. You don't have to, in your mind, because everybody, everybody wants to start out with the sexiest uh, option, which is the complete end of the world in total disaster. And uh,
0: th- that that's
1: just not the most likely thing to happen. It's the least likely thing to happen. So you don't want to prepare for the least likely. You want to prepare for the most likely. And you can do that very easily. You can start preparing uh, today, tonight. Uh, You can very quickly make a list of the things that you'll need for, uh, that you would need to get you through the day tomorrow, get you and your loved ones through the day tomorrow. And then, try and put that uh that stuff together, see if you have it, and uh, try and put that stuff together, see if you can make that one day. If you can, great, excellent. Uh you can uh chalk that you can uh check that off your list, prepare it for one day. And and that's nothing to scoff at, okay? That's not something to scoff at. Uh when something happens that first day is usually uh, is usually one of the worst ones, right? So if you can make it through the first day and uh, let things uh, uh, settle down or watch how they're beginning to unfold and develop, uh, then you're at least in one day better shape. So start with the easy things. And there's plenty of things that you can do right now that uh, don't cost any money that uh, you can be doing very easily. Things like uh, uh, like storing water and extending the, uh, uh, the cold cycle on your uh, frozen goods at the same time. And you can do that by making sure that all of the voids in your freezer are filled up with water. Okay? That means if you've got a freezer and it's filled to 50% capacity, you have that other 50% which is just open air, and open air does not store any energy. It does not store anything. It's just open air, and every time you open the the freezer, that big chunk of cold air falls out like a uh, like a can of uh, thick uh, Campbell soup. You open that freezer, and if you can see it if you if you watch it sometimes you can see it. you can see that air just fall out like a big uh a big chunk of icing uh, you don't want there to be voids you want to get containers of water and you can do that by getting uh like two liter bottles or one liter bottles whatever whatever you have you don't have to you don't have to go and buy anything just grab some of those bottles. Fill them up with clean, drinkable water, put them in the freezer, let them freeze, and then that will store water for you that you can drink later. Also, it will store the energy in your freezer and extend the cold period for that freezer. Uh, It's no different than having an ice chest filled with ice, right? So that's something you can do right now.
0: Uh, that will
1: extend it. That makes a big difference in how long your food is going to stay cold, right? Because if you have uh, a fairly decent sized freezer and you you end up putting, uh, I'll say, 10 of the uh, maybe 2 liter bottles in there, then uh, you've got about 50 pounds of ice now inside the freezer. <clears throat> and the 50 pounds of ice will keep that Food from spoiling for about a week, as long as you don't keep opening the door and keep it cold in there for about a week. So that's something that you can do right now. Can if you have uh, ways to store water, then great. If you don't, you can still. I, I was at uh, Walmart, I believe, a couple of days ago, and all of the all of the the big stores like that they always have their bottle of water on sale. I think that Walmart had uh, like 36 pints of water for uh, I believe it was right, right around four bucks. So for four dollars, you can get the uh, 36 pints, and you can begin uh, sliding those under your bed, uh, you know, stacking a few in the so that you have some water to drink in the event that there is some type of cessation of services because. That's the most likely thing that's going to happen, is you're going to lose uh, some public utilities. The power is going to go out, uh, and when the power goes out, then that also will affect pumping stations, it will affect water pressure, and you might eventually lose water. Or you could have uh, water that uh, gets in some way uh, contaminated. And uh, they're going to ask you to either boil your water or not drink the water that the utilities company is delivering to you. And this way, uh, because you might be, you might still be able to use that water to wash clothes or bathe in, even wash dishes and stuff like that, but uh, so you can add Clorox or chlorine to the dishwater to make it safe. But uh, you'll be able to drink the water that you keep stored. <clears throat> Remember that uh, a good starting number, where you're gonna be one gallon per person per day. All right, that's just for drinking, not for anything else. <laughs> so be sure and be working on on getting your prep started now. Uh, Ed here at the in the chat room is what is he oh he's copy canning that's what he's saying and uh and that's a great idea too that's how a lot of people do it that's what i do is when i go to the store there are because here's here's one of the things i want to tell you too is when you buy food that you're going to store for you to eat in sensational services event, buy the stuff that you eat all right? Don't get, if you if you guys don't eat rice and beans, if you don't eat it because you don't like it or whatever, then don't don't buy that and store it. Certainly, it's inexpensive, but 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 it has its own rice and beans have their own issues. The easiest thing to do to start off to do is what uh, I'm not sure that I've ever heard it called that, but uh, uh, is a uh, copy canning. <laughs> what that is is when you go to the the store to get your regular groceries. What I'll do is, when I get ready to buy the uh, the large container of peanut butter, I don't buy just the one. I'll buy two of them. All right, I'll buy one to eat and one to store. Now I don't and I don't do that so that when I run out of the one, I can open the other one. I do it so that I'll have one in reserve. Next time I when I run out of that first one. I, it's time to go buy another jar of peanut butter. I don't open the second one. I buy another one. But here's the thing that uh, you do, too, is is you take your Sharpie and you write on the container. You know, I, I write on the top of the lid. But you can write anywhere on the container with the date when you got it because you want to make sure that... Uh, that you are rotating through your food. You know, buy two cans of peanut butter, uh put one in your closet for storage, and then never touch it again until the end of the world. Because when you open that one up, it's gonna be it's gonna be peanut butter, but it's gonna be that stale, cranky peanut butter that uh that people will eat but they're not gonna eat it with a smile on their face. So what you do <coughs> is So you went to the store, you initially bought those two jars of peanut butter, okay? Put the dates on the one that you bought for storage. Uh, I just put dates on all of them. But when you have finished with the first jar, it's time to buy another one. So you go and you buy another jar of peanut butter and I'll buy two again, all right? But when I come back, I don't open up one of the two that I just bought. I open up the one that uh, I bought initially with the first two because that will have the oldest date on it and the other two now are my reserve there and from now on and you keep doing that till you get the number of jars of peanut butter that that you will need for how x amount of days that you have prepped for if you eat one big jar of peanut butter per week and you want to store up, uh, 10 weeks of food. That means that you need to keep buying the, uh, the double jars of peanut butter until you have 10 extra jars, right? <laughs> and then every, from then on, you, as you buy a new jar of peanut butter, put the date on it, it goes at the end of the line, and you go back to the first, the beginning of the line, and you pull that one out, and that's the one you open up. Alright? And you keep doing that. Every time you buy a new container of, of peanut butter, you put the date on it, you put it in line, and then you come back and you open up the the one with the oldest date and that's the one you use. You can do that with anything. You can do that with any of the <coughs> canned goods that you buy. Uh so uh, the uh the this technique uh is really a great one to get started with you just need to pay attention to making sure that you're marking on the on either on the labels on the lids something so that you're keeping your uh your stored stock in rotation like I said, if you if you wait too long, uh if you just are just eating the new stuff and not touching the stored stuff, it it it's gonna get funky after a while. I mean it's still be edible for years, but it it's not gonna be not gonna be as nice as you want it to. So make sure that you're eating uh out of your rotation, out of your stock. That is something that you can do the very next time you go to the store.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can put you can put uh, one or two items on your copy-canning list, and then uh, uh, when you get home, you can uh, make sure that you put the dates on them. Put them in storage, and then think about how you're going to uh, how you're going to eventually uh, store up to the amount that you think you need in order to shepherd yourself and your loved ones through a cessation of services event, right? So uh one of the things that one of the other things that I do is uh I'll give myself a a budget of like uh five bucks a week uh for incidentals and uh I'll buy those from places like Dollar Store. And uh, when I say into incidentals, what I mean are things like uh, band aids or uh, toothpaste or uh, things like that. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll and you do the same thing with those. You certainly anything that you buy that you're buying and putting in storage, you need to put a date on because the band aids are not going to get rotten. But they will, uh, they will get old, and and they will begin to like lose some of their adhesive qualities and stuff like that. If you just put them in storage and never use them, make sure you date them and that you're rotating through them, just like just like with the food. You, know, you get a boo boo, and you need a new box of bandages. Oldest one, open it up and start using it. Make sure you're always rotating through the your stored stock. Okay. Uh, usually once a
0: month,
1: <coughs> I'll buy the. I'll go to the dollar store and I'll buy the, the big jumbo pack, of sanitary napkins. They'll have a uh, a package of like forty eight, uh, really big and. Uh, and those are, uh, brought home. They are, uh, are wrapped again in another, uh, layer of plastic usually. I usually uh, uh take them out and repackage them in you know, like the gallon ziploc bags or something like that, put a date on it and put them inside another larger plastic bag and put them in storage. And the sanitary seri- napkins are are used for uh for their purpose. The sanitary napkins if somebody needs them and they're also used as uh bandage material. I'm not talking about trying to to use the Santa Kateri napkins as your primary uh, bandaging uh, to stop the flow of blood or whatever. I don't want to get into that because everybody starts freaking out when they hear you talking about that. Or talking about using tampons for gunshot wounds, stuff like that. We're not talking about that. What I'm talking about is... If you have a uh, – if you get some type of a wound, uh, like a, a nice big cut or something like that. Now, certainly, uh, if you're out in the field running an op or something like that, you could pop out that uh, Israeli bandage, put it on, snug it up nice and tight, uh, maybe use some of the clotting uh bandages and get the blood stopped stuff like that and then go to the hospital or the doctor or whatever and get it taken care of and you can buy some more bandages and stuff like that put them on there but if you don't have that ability to go to the store and buy bandages and stuff like that I'm talking about afterwards not talking about in the uh, in the moments following the the, uh, the wound being created I'm talking about in the days and the weeks afterwards because that bandage is going to have to be changed at least once a day, if not more. And you can't keep using Israeli really bandages and you can't tear up t-shirts and put them on there. You need something nice and clean that you can put on that wound uh, on a one or two changes a day schedule for a week or, or, or two weeks or even three weeks. And uh, you can certainly use uh, these sanitary napkins for that. So that's one of the reasons that uh, I buy them and keep a large stock of them is because they can be used to cover a wound while it's healing. All right? In a in a very inexpensive fashion. 48 of them for uh, three bucks, that means they're less than 10 cents a piece. So, <clears throat> so part of my $5 a week uh, Well, usually once a month go to something like that. So you can set up a budget, and you can budget your purchases, and you just you make a purchase once a week of your incidentals, and then when you go to the grocery store for your regular shopping, you can do copy canning for a while. It begins to add up; it doesn't take very long, and the more that it adds up, then I think what I usually see, folks, is they get uh, they they once they see it start adding up, they see that. Uh, that what they're doing is having an effect and they they get more serious about it and they they try to they try to make uh even more of an effort. So getting started is one of the most important uh one of the most important things you can do, right? Getting started. Because like I said, if you keep waiting, you say, I'm gonna wait until I have enough money for a year's worth of food, and uh, and we all know what happens in it. You'll wait. You'll never buy any food. You'll never have any extra, and that means when something happens, you're not going to have anything. But don't wait. You can buy one day's worth of food tonight or tomorrow when you stop at the store. You can buy one day's worth of food, date it, put it away, and there you go. You're good to go for one day. But you gotta get started. Alright? So like I said, the way you can get started, you go to those sites that I was telling you about and uh and start looking at the at the the articles that they have and then then take a few minutes and and sit down and try and Write out in a rough draft of of an overall plan uh in the event of a power outage, what would I do? What do I need to do, and you can write down uh the things that you would uh, that you would need in the power outage uh, if there was something uh if something more substantial happened, the same thing with that because you'd like to write down a list of the things that you would need. If you had to, for some reason, leave your home, if there was a fire or a hurricane or something, you want to make a list of the things that you really have to take with you, things like uh, your important paperwork, uh, medicine that you would need uh, to survive on, things like that. So start making a plan. Uh, The next thing you can do is... uh, and this is part of probably one of the, now you're getting into like part of the sexy part of prepping. And that is, uh, put together at least a small fundamental type of bug out bag, right? And that's a bag that you, that you keep, uh, uh, like in the floor of your closet, in the trunk of your car, wherever that has items that you would need in the event of uh, some type of an emergency. Things like uh, first aid stuff, extra water, extra food. Uh, it doesn't have to be a ton of stuff. Like I'll have, uh, I have a couple of bug out bags that have things like uh, two or three MREs in them. And the MRE has a lot of food. just like a day's worth of food for me. So three MREs, and you you can take them out of the package and repackage them yourself for some less room if you want. Uh, so you can get three days of food into it really easy, some uh uh, first aid gear, uh, some extra water, uh, uh, things like uh, a uh, crank up uh, flashlight, or you can put in uh, one of the uh, the new LED flashlights, and just make sure that uh, that on a regular basis that you have like uh, on your calendar, you have things like uh, battery day. At uh, the beginning of the month, Battery Day. That's where you go through all your electrical items that you're going to depend on for your survival. You check and make sure that the batteries are good, that you have uh, put fresh batteries in any of the electrical items in your in your bug out bag. You make an emergency contact list so that uh, in the event something happened, you could uh, you could reach the people that you need to reach. Uh, and this is a very basic thing too. For especially families that have kids and stuff like that, have the uh, emergency contact list in a place where that where all of the family members know where it is, so that if they need to get a hold of you, uh, mom at the office, dad at the office, the fire department, the police department, uh, have your address printed on there, so that they that like the kids or guests know. Where to tell the police or emergency services folks where to respond to. Uh, if you and your and a friend are at your house, something happens to you, and the nine one one operator says, "Where do we go to?" and the guy goes, "I don't really know." Uh, then that's going to cause a lag in the response time. So make sure that there is a emergency contact list. If, uh, you leave it readily available. You can pre decide where you're going to go, what you're going to do, if you have to leave your home. So in the next uh, week or two weeks a month, while you're doing your planning and like I said, this the planning doesn't take any money. It just takes a notebook and a pencil. You can uh you can sit down and write out your plan and think about uh, if I had to leave the home for some reason, if I had to get out of here, there was a tornado or or a hurricane or a fire or or whatever and i had to leave my home where would i go where would i go where could i where could i take my the family and kids and stuff and, and safely get uh shelter somewhere else where would i go figure out figure that out now and while you're figuring it out don't just don't just say uh okay i'm going to go to grandma's house which is 150 miles away. I'm going to go to Grandma's house. There, good, done, finished. Because it's not finished.
0: <coughs>
1: because what you need to do is get Liz, get your map and you look at the route from your house to Grandma's house and you figure out free ways to get there. There's going to be like the main freeways and stuff like that, but we all see what happens to freeways, especially if you live uh, in an area that has... Uh, uh, fairly dense population and if there is something that requires everybody to leave then those things just turn into parking lots so make sure that you have thought about alternate routes to get to the location that you have pre-designated as the place where you where you are going to go and shelter and also think about the distance if it's 150 miles to grandma's house and your full tank of uh, gas in your car will only let you go 125 miles, there's another thing you have to think about. That means you have to make sure that you have a full tank of gas when it's time to leave, and you have an additional uh, a reserve of fuel that you can take with you in order to resupply you so you can make that distance. So make sure that you, you have figured out where you're going to go if you indeed have to leave your home and then figure out uh, at least three alternate routes to get there and if possible drive those routes because a map may say here is a good way to get to Grandma's by going down this road and going turning here and going here and then going across this bridge because the bridge may not be there anymore or the road may be uh, that road may not exist Uh, believe me I've I've encountered that quite a few times, uh, on my travels on back roads is roads that aren't there for one reason or another. Either they were uh either they were ghost roads
0: <clears throat>
1: which some map companies will put in as a safeguard on their copyrights on that map. I mean there's somebody else there, it means that road never existed. So, if I decide to copy that map and tell it as my own, and they look on there and they find uh uh Smith Road and Smith Road doesn't exist, the only place it exists is on uh company a's map that means they know that I stole their map, so they put in some ghost roads like that uh make sure that you've driven that route and that you know that Smith Road really exists and
0: uh and
1: that there is a bridge over the creek or the river or whatever, and you can make it across it. All right. Uh, you don't want you don't want to be in a rush to get to grandma's house and find yourself trapped uh, on a road that doesn't go somewhere or uh, on a road that's not drivable. Uh, make sure that you. You've designated three alternate routes that they're usable routes. Alright? So sure that you have decided who's going to be part of your plan in an emergency and who's not. Uh, decide when it's what are the things that are going to make you leave and when you're going to leave. Alright? Uh you you don't want to keep sitting there saying I don't know if it's time to leave or not. Uh, You can pre-decide if if situation X occurs, we're leaving. So you're sitting there wondering if you should leave or not, and situation X occurs, and that's it. That is your uh, your indicator that it's time for you to leave. Everybody gets in the car, and you leave. All right. So make sure that you've decided uh, who's going to be a part of the plan and uh, and what is going to make you leave and uh and get that uh, set up and decided uh, try and get uh try and get your family members uh, to involved in this in some way you know uh, the best thing to do is is not to to try and get them to do it because the world is coming to an end because that's that produces a lot of anxiety. You can get you can help you can get them uh, involved in other ways. You can get them uh uh you can make them uh, part of your uh of your game, part of your uh of your prep <coughs> and and try and get uh, everybody involved in the preparation. <clears throat> uh, all right. Uh, that's, I guess, going to be about as much as... Uh, as we'll cover on that tonight. But I do want to remind you that, uh, that the time to start is now. If you, if you keep waiting, then that that really has the possibility, uh, to come back and bite you in the hiney. All right. So <clears throat> make sure that you uh that you're beginning your prep now. Very very uh easy, very simple uh getting started and uh, go to the uh, the website I mean you can Google uh prepping and you can find uh, several million returns on it. There's a lot of good information out there. And uh, and you should start looking at it. Uh, I noticed when I was at Walmart the other day that they have their landscaping lights uh, on sale again. And that's something that I always grab because uh, that fits into my energy plan And they are so inexpensive. Uh, You can grab the little uh, solar-powered landscaping lights. They've got a battery, rechargeable battery inside them, and they're solar-powered. You can grab uh, those for about $0.97 a piece. And uh, and those things really, uh, they really, uh, I've been using them for about uh, seven or eight years now, and they really work great. you can take uh, four or five of them, uh, flip them on, put them in a vase on your kitchen, on your dining room table, and it gives you enough light to see to eat. Not the greatest light, uh, because they're they they're made for landscaping, but it gives you plenty of light to see uh, what you're doing. If you have uh, an electrical outage. You can place uh, five or six of these strategically throughout the house. You can walk around the house without tripping on stuff. You can you can uh, for security you can see inside your house well enough to make a shot. So I make sure that I grab uh, a couple of dozen of those uh, every time uh, they go on sale uh, at this time of year. I think you should too because uh, there are several different varieties of them. And they even have the ones that uh, will work on the AA batteries. Can use the solar lights as your charging system for your AA batteries. And those AA batteries can be taken out of the solar lights and they can be used in flashlights, radios, whatever you want to use. And then you pop them back in and they get recharged. You can use it for the light, whatever you want to use. You can use those banks of solar Lights to recharge your batteries uh so make sure that uh, you take a look and see what kind of battery uh that it uses but even if it's uh even if it's set up for something else uh it's still very easy to alter them to charge any size battery that you want to that you can fit in there right because at the end of the day all it is is a bank of uh, uh photovoltaic cells. That you can use to trickle charge any battery
0: uh,
1: so I like that I like uh, getting grabbing the the solar lights there at walmart uh there are there is uh, uh several times a year that they will put uh rubbing alcohol on sale they'll put a quart of uh rubbing alcohol on sale for like uh, ninety cents uh right next to it they'll usually have quarts of uh hydrogen peroxide which uh which has a a large uh a wide variety of uses uh it'll go on sale too for eighty eight cents a quart. make sure that you're taking advantage of these big store sales and that you're grabbing and uh, don't just buy the the one quart of uh uh rubbing alcohol that you're gonna use uh do your copy canning buy uh uh four or five of each of them, and put them, date them, and put them in storage. So, make sure that you're starting your prep now. All right. uh, the, The other thing I wanted to talk about tonight is training in inclement weather and in protective gear. All right, because uh, you need to make sure... Here's the thing. Uh, the When you go to the range or you go to some shooting event, uh, you're normally required to wear, uh, especially for your eyes, because uh, shooting is an inherently dangerous sport uh and there is the the opportunity for things to go wrong that could uh, uh that could cause some type of injury to your eye right and that's when it's just you shooting uh in a direction away from you okay now when you get into a situation where there is somebody shooting back at you, then that makes for uh, uh, a huge change in the dynamics of this because you have to protect your eyes, all right, because you have to see. You have to see for every single thing that you do. Now, certainly... If you injured an eye or both eyes or if you went blind, I'm sure you could learn to you could learn to survive with uh, those eye injuries or that blindness all right you may not have the time or the opportunity to learn in certain situations, so you have to protect your eyes uh, if you uh now, of course, the guys that are doing the uh, the urban fighting right now in, uh, when they were doing it in Iraq and Afghanistan, that's something that they learned very rapidly, is that even if even if the projectiles don't hit you, a wall near you, then you have a, a huge uh, uh, spray of secondary missiles that can injure, <clears throat> injure you uh and you need to make sure that you have some way that you're protecting your eyes uh if even if you're not in a building if you're in the woods or or, or even out in the open prairie and uh a projectile impacts near you and sends up a spray of dirt uh or pebbles or rocks or it hits something and it fragments those secondary fragments, or even the uh, actual fragments of the bullet itself, usually very rapidly lose uh, their their ability. Once they become smaller fragments, lose their ability to cause you a uh, a fatal wound, but they have not lost their ability uh, to to break apart and fly into your eye and damage your eye. Now, once your eye is damaged, if you can't see to return fire, then you're in a world of hurt. So you need to make sure that that you are training wearing eye protection for, for two reasons. One so that during the training uh your training opportunities that you're that you're not going to injure your eyes but also so that you learn how uh to to make the shot while you're wearing your protective eye gear because a lot of guys don't wear it i mean i see folks all the time uh, at events and stuff like that that uh they will ditch the eye gear because they want to make the shot I can understand that in some cases, but you need to make sure that when you're training, that you're doing uh, as much training with that eye gear on as possible because you need to make sure that you're protecting your eye during the training and uh, in real life situations. We make sure that if uh, a bullet hits a, a tree or a branch near you and it fragments, that these secondary fragments from the wood or the uh, broken apart projectile fragments that you have some way to protect your eye. I bought a bunch of uh, a big stack of the military ones right after the uh, first Gulf War because they flooded the market with them. I, wish I would have sort of more. they had uh, great deals on them, but I bought a big stack of them back then, and uh, I'm glad that I did because uh, they are really good uh, protective eyewear and. Uh, and I use those quite often uh, during my training because I want to make sure that I uh, am practicing what I preach, that I'm wearing protective eyewear uh, to keep my eyes safe while I'm training and to make sure that I'm learning to make the shot while I'm wearing the protective eyewear. Make sure that you're doing that because if somebody, they don't have to... They don't have to hit you and produce a uh, uh, a fatal or debilitating wound if they can spray some stuff in your eye and, and blind you that way, right? Because if you can't if you can't make the shot because you can't see or you're trying to clean your eyes out or you've got the dirt or something that was just flashed in your eye, then you're out of fight and you need to stay in the fight to the end thing uh, is gloves Uh, i make sure that uh, while i'm doing my training that i wear gloves as often as possible because uh in a in a real life situation uh if you get a chance to slip on some gloves then that's a good thing uh You don't need to learn how to do stuff without gloves on because you already know how to do stuff without gloves on. You already know how to manipulate your safety, how to change magazines, et cetera, all that stuff. You know how to do that without gloves on, right? Because you do, because that's how you do it. But you need to learn how to do it with gloves on. And gloves are important because your hands, uh, now certainly... Uh, if something happens to you, you can uh and and it's a normal of course of say you can go to the doctor, you can get it taken care of or whatever but uh but gloves will protect you
0: <clears throat>
1: from cuts and scrapes and bruises uh that you might get in the course of some situation that will alter. You. And yourself. So you want to to get used to dilating your firearms with gloves on. So make sure that you're doing some of your training uh with your gloves on. And I consider this to be no different than uh than any other part of your dry fire game or your inclement weather training game. Uh that's making sure that you are learning how to uh draw and fire your pistol uh, or your rifle with your gloves on. That means also uh, making sure that you're able to unsnap your holster. You're able to manipulate the safety if you have one. You're able to manipulate the magazine change uh, buttons, uh, all of the things that you will have to do in order to run your handgun or rifle that you are adding in doing it with your gloves on. Uh, if you have any other type of protective gear and, and you plan on using it in uh, in any type of a situation, then you should also spend time training in that gear. Uh, if you have any type of... Uh, you have any type of a vest or plate carriers or anything like that, make sure that you're devoting part of your training time to you wearing that armor or that vest while you're doing your shooting. Because it's going to alter the equation a bit. I mean, if you've got a pretty heavy duty plate carrier, it's going to probably change a little bit of the way that uh, you're going to be able to get your rifle up into the uh uh into the pocket of your shoulder. Uh same thing with a vest. Uh it's going to alter a little bit how, uh, how you move. But make sure that you're devoting at least uh part of your to training while you're wearing your gear. All right? Now, that's one of the whole reasons that we do the the uh uh running gun biathlon is because we want folks to uh to spend time uh moving and shooting with the gear on that they're planning to wear uh in the event of some situation. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people use the the running gun as an opportunity to see how their gear works. Uh you know when they're having to move around in it, climb over things, climb under things Uh, make the shot while they're wearing their gear. Put their gear on. They can still uh, get to their holsters, to their magazines. They can still get to their uh, any of the gear that they need. And they can still make the shot while they're wearing the gear. And that they can uh, climb over stuff and under stuff while their gear is on and that it's working correctly or finding out that it's not working correctly. Uh, So you want to add that in to your training time, to your dry fire time, or to your live fire time, both. But uh, a lot of folks can't do much live fire with the gear on, so at least putting it on, uh, like in your home. You're putting your gear on in your home, and you're doing things like uh, drawing your handgun. Or accessing your magazines from their magazine carrier, and uh, making sure that uh, that you're learning how to do that. You're learning how to 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 access uh, all of the things you need with your gear on. Okay. <clears throat> the same thing with devoting a portion of your time to training in inclement weather. Uh, everybody likes to go to the range when it's a nice sunny 70 degree day uh the joy to go to the range on a day like that and shoot but the fact is is that uh, you have just as much of a chance of being required to shoot on a day where the weather is not in your favor so you need to make sure that you have some experience in doing that that means Picking a day where it's raining and trying to get out and uh make the shot while it's raining uh we had a lot of folks during uh not this last event but the uh event back in uh last October <clears throat> pretty good heavy rain on the Saturday of the event, I believe it might have been the Friday but I think it was the Saturday of the event, and a lot of folks uh found out that uh that their gear. Gave them some grief, especially the folks with the holographic sites. Uh, that rain uh, hitting those holographic sites and running down it was causing folks a good bit of grief. Uh, and I'm sure there are ways to deal with that, but you're not going to find them out by shooting on a dry day. You're going to have to shoot on a wet day to figure those, uh, figure out how to to make your gear work in the rain. So make sure that you're
0: <clears throat>
1: devoting time to training in inclement weather. Uh, a good part of the year, it's cold. It uh, may even be snowing where you are. Uh, but certainly, almost anywhere in the United States, there's going to be a good portion of the year where, there's, where it's somewhat cold. That means you're going to have to be wearing uh, cold weather gear, jackets, and uh and hats and gloves and stuff like that, so make sure that you're spending time uh, learning to manipulate your firearms when you are bundled up uh because all of this has a everything everything changes when you alter the equation everything has a slight bit of change. Or a dramatic bit of change, depending on, on on what you're dealing with, and you want to make sure that you are experiencing it in situations where it is simply a training opportunity, rather than in a situation where the outcome of the event uh, is more serious. All right. So make sure that you're adding in inclement weather training to your uh, to your training time. It's not. It's not going to be the most fun thing that you'll do, but you will certainly learn a lot when you do it. Uh, told you guys a story a thousand times of the, uh, of shooting my grand, and the pouring down rain uh, many years ago,
0: <clears throat>
1: and that was certainly an experience because you you know the grands like to run, they like to be stuffed full of grease in order for you to get the most miles out of them. But when there's stuff full of grease, and when that action fills up with water, and you fire that uh, shot, and you get a huge amount of blowback of water laced with grease. Just water, you can wipe that out of your eyes. But if it's water laced with gun grease, now... Your ability to see has been degraded by 50 to 70 to 80 percent, because now you've got thick grease in your eye. It's going to take a while to get that out. It'll be like looking through a big greasy pane of glass. All right, so you've got to figure out uh, what you're going to do to get around that. So make sure that uh, that you're adding inclement weather to your training. Okay. Uh there is uh there is there is always an opportunity for you to get in uh you to get in training. And that means uh, staying with and paying attention to your dry fire game. Your dry fire game <clears throat> Is just as important, if not more important, than your actual live firing and your range time, right? So we've talked about this plenty of times too. That your range time should uh, really uh, just be the time that you use to verify that your dry fire game is running correctly. Uh, Because if you're depending just on the time that you're able to spend at the range doing live fire for your training, you're missing out on uh, on 95% or more of your available training time. You should be training and running your dry fire game,
0: <clears throat> I
1: would say on a daily basis. Uh, there's no reason that you can't uh, spend a few minutes each day, especially if you're, uh, if you're a concealed carrier, you should really be you should really be doing that because uh, every single day your dress probably changes a little bit, and you want to make sure that uh, when, however you're dressing, that you're going still going to be able to make your draw from concealed and present your firearm without uh, any trouble. So you should be doing practice draws uh, as soon as you get dressed to make sure that New or different about what you're wearing that's going to interfere with your drawn presentation. Even if you're not hearing concealed, there's still no reason uh, that you can't get into uh, the prone and practice uh, uh, 5, 10, 15 dry fire shots with your rifle and that you're making sure that when you squeeze that trigger that the sights aren't moving, right? The the whole point of dry firing is so that you can see what has actually happened during your execution of the shot without it being masked by the recoil. So there's no reason that you can't grab a rifle, uh, hit the the timer button, say, okay, I've got uh, five minutes, three minutes. And uh, I'm going to do uh, five shots, ten shots, fifteen shots, dry fire shots, and uh, there's no reason that you can't do that. And that is what is going to make you a shooter: the amount of time you spend in your dry fire game, uh, actually getting into position, putting your sights on the target, and executing the shot in a dry fire fashion. Or it can be, uh, it can be you sitting there in your chair with uh, a couple of magazines and uh, putting the magazine into the pistol rifle, locking it a place, pulling it out, and uh, putting the other one in and uh, repeating that so that you develop some type of muscle memory uh, with your ability to make magazine changes. Uh, magazine changes... Should You should be able to make magazine changes with your eyes closed uh, while singing a song or talking to another person uh, in your sleep. Uh, making a magazine change shouldn't be something that you should have to concentrate on. It should become second nature through muscle memory. <clears throat> uh, in the event that you have to make a magazine change under stressful situations. Uh, once your your uh, heart is pounding and you've lost some of your fine motor skills, you don't want to have to think about how to manipulate the magazine and your firearm in order to make a magazine change. You want it to be something that is uh, done by your muscle memory and by second nature because of the repetition that you put into it, okay?
0: <clears throat>
1: all right. <clears throat> Make sure that you're working on your uh, on your prep, that you're starting today, that you are picking a very small chunk to bite off, and you're biting it off, and you're chewing it up and swallowing it, all right? Making sure that you're make sure that you're getting started today. Make sure that you are adding in to your training opportunities and to your dry fire game that you're adding in, <clears throat> working with eye protection, working with gloves on, working with uh, any type of vests or armor that you're wearing. Uh, make sure that you are adding in. Doing your training during, uh, uh, doing some of your training during inclement weather. Make sure that you're doing training in the rain, in the cold, in the heat, so that you begin to understand how you and your gear uh, are going to work in this situation. Make sure that you're staying with your dry fire game, okay? Make sure that you are using, uh, and it doesn't have to be a lot of time. Uh, I used to tell people when we were when I was running Seed that getting into certain positions uh, was very difficult. You know, when I first started getting into the seated position because of some previous injuries I had, it was very difficult. It was hard for me to get into the position and then maintain that position long enough to make an accurate shot because it was very painful. It was hard to get into. So what I did is I would just get into that position uh, two or three times in the evening and immediately get back out of it. And at the end of a couple of months and remain in it uh, and make the shot without the pain, uh, at least most of the pain, uh, because getting into the different positions that are required to make the shot it may not be a comfortable proposition, but you need to ensure that you have, you can make it a repeatable and sustainable position. I'm talking about seated, prone, whatever position that you're using to make uh, your shot, that you get into it often enough that it can be a repeatable and sustainable position. By that, I mean you should be able to get into the position, the rudimentary position, in the same fashion, uh, over and over, without having to think about it. And then you should be able to stay in that position. It should be a sustainable position. You can stay in that position long enough to make the shot. And you're going to be doing that the way that you'll do that is adding that in as part of your dry fire game, right? Uh, that's going to do it for tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, the folks that uh, listened tonight and the folks that uh, are going to be listening over the course of uh, the next uh, few days, months, weeks, months, and uh, years. So <clears throat> uh, be sure and contact me uh, if you have any uh, subjects that you want to uh to see covered, any guests that you would like to to be in the show. And uh, we will see you again uh, this uh, coming Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Central. All right? Thank you, guys. God bless and keep you. And God got our hands in this for our cause is just.